So please, congregation, open your Bibles in the first place this morning to Isaiah 42. Read the first nine verses of that chapter together, as well as a few verses of Matthew chapter 11, before returning again to our study of the Catechism. In Isaiah 42, the Lord speaks to a weak people, a wobbly people, a people whose sin has warranted his judgment, the judgment of exile. But he speaks to them with a word of hope, a word of gospel assurance when he says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit within him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will, cry, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. Wait for his law. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the, who, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. The new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is God's holy word. Turn also to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We'll begin reading actually at verse 20. I noted 25 in the bulletin. We'll begin reading at verse 20 and read to the end of the chapter. Then he, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands firm forever. Let's turn also in our catechism to Lord's Day 30, the last two questions and answers of that Lord's Day. 
We'll read the questions and answers responsibly. In connection with coming to the Lord's table this morning, we were asked the question, who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Question 82. Should those be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they profess and how they live that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. That would dishonor God's covenant and bring down God's wrath upon the entire congregation. Therefore, According to the instruction of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives. This the church of Christ does believe. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come this morning to the final questions and answers of our catechism's treatment of the Lord's Supper. And not only that, but also the catechism's, catechism's treatment of the means of grace. And so, to just briefly recap again, we've heard the last few weeks, one of the things that, that certainly distinguishes Reformed churches like ours from many of the churches around us is, is not only our biblical understanding of who God is, but also our biblical understanding of how it is that God has chosen to reveal himself, to communicate to us his creatures. In his condescending grace and in his covenant mercy, ours is a God who, who stoops down, who, who condescends from the heights of heaven to meet sinners, to meet you and me where we are. He's a God who meets us in our weakness and frailty. As the psalmist said, God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, and so he alone is uniquely able to communicate to us according to our need as he sees fit. And so in each and every Lord's Day, boys and girls, we gather together as a church not to hear the, the word of man, not to hear the opinions of the pastor. But each Lord's Day, we come together as a church to hear God's word spoken to us when it's faithfully proclaimed in the preaching of the gospel. And certainly that God would speak to us in that with the public reading and preaching is, is more than gracious, more than sufficient for us to be saved. And yet God has done more than that, hasn't he? God, knowing our weaknesses, God understanding our infirmities, understanding that, that some of us may inadvertently tune out parts of this very sermon this morning. God understanding our weaknesses has given us gospel pictures in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. God in his grace and mercy has given us these gospel pictures to signify and to seal to us the, the promises in the gospel to strengthen our weak faith, to, to secure our wobbly faith, to feed our famished faith. God has given us these gospel pictures because it is his sincere desire that, that we should not live lives of lacking assurance, that we should not live lives of, of wondering if God really cares about us, if God really looks upon us in love. God would have us to be sure. God in Christ wants to assure us 
Assurance has been the key theme that's tied these last number of Lord's Days together. And so we've sought to give ear to God's assuring word, how, how when we're baptized, God says to us, I have cleansed you. He says to us, I, I loved you first. And how in the Lord's Supper, God says to us again, I loved you first and I love you still. I loved you then and I love you now. I'll love you forever. How God in Christ says to us, eat, drink, and, and be assured. Be assured that what Christ did at Calvary, he, he did for you. Christ instituted this suffering not only as a, a constant memorial of his death, but also as a means whereby his spirit might, might lift our hearts up into heaven to, to, see it, to sit at the table of the king to assure us that all his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins as we confessed last week. In other words, Christ gave us the Lord's Supper to assure us, remind us again of our new identity, that you are no longer defined by who you've been and the things you've done, but you are defined by who Christ is and the things Christ has done. The Lord's Supper proclaims to us that Christ has indeed accomplished all things necessary for our salvation, that, that contrary to what the Roman Catholics say, that he must be sacrificed again and again, day after day, Christ gave us a supper to remind us that he has done it all. All things necessary for our salvation have been accomplished. Do you believe that this morning? That despite your sin and unworthiness, Christ loved you to the end, even to the point of dying that death on the cross. If you do, then you can be sure this morning that the Lord's table is for you. Our catechism being an intensely pastoral document, well, ask the question, who then, who then can come to this table? And the answer that it gives should warm all of our hearts. Because rather than, than telling us that, that the table is only for those who, who have life all figured out, who are so righteous in themselves, the catechism of the faithful summary of God's word teaches and assures us that the supper is for sinners. That the Lord's Supper is given to a weak and wobbly people, to a people who, who cannot stand on their own two feet. To weaklings like us who are, heavenly, who are heavily burdened by, by our sins and with the weight of, of shame that those sins place upon our shoulders. To weaklings like us, Christ turns to us and he says, come. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Here in Matthew chapter 11, having pronounced woes on the unbelieving cities of his day in verses 20 through 24. Now after having declared the inability of those who were wise in their own eyes to, to know the Father, Jesus now turns to his beleaguered disciples and says, Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is what Christ proclaims to us this morning as we come to his table. In the Lord's Supper, in the bread that's broken, and the wine poured out, Christ reveals his heart to us. He, he reminds that he is gentle, that he is lowly, that he is inviting. Indeed, he says, come. 
as we just sang a few moments ago, Christ meets us this morning with the gracious invitation, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, ever ready I stand to save you, full of pity, love and power. This is Christ's gracious word to us in the Lord's Supper. Come ye sinners, come ye sinners, poor and needy. And so if you see your neediness this morning, that you have no greater need than your need of him, you can be sure that Christ extends his invitation to you. But if we want to understand this invitation well, then we also have to understand that although the Lord's table is indeed for sinners, it's not just for any and every sinner, but rather it's only for those sinners who, who truly despise their sins, who look to Christ for salvation, earnestly desire to, to live in his service. And so we confess that all hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, are warned, lest they eat and drink, judgment upon themselves. And so we concern in the first place this morning that with the gracious invitation to those of true faith also comes a strong fencing against false faith. The Catechism asks the question, should those be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they profess that they are unbelieving and ungodly? And to that question we confess, no, that would dishonor God's covenant and bring judgment upon the entire congregation. Therefore, according to the instruction of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives. Here, question answer 22 of our catechism is drawing particularly upon the apostles' instruction in, to the church in Corinth. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we discover that having affirmed in chapter 10 that, that we do participate in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, Paul begins to rebuke the church in Corinth, noting that, that when they come together as a church, it's often not for their better, but rather for their worse. He notes in verses 18 to 19 that there were divisions among them. The, the rich have no concern for the poor. In verses 20 to 22, he notes that some are turning the holy sacrament into a feast of greed and gluttony. He says in verse 22, What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and, and humiliate those who have nothing? And he walks through Christ's institution of the supper, again reminding them of what this supper is supposed to be all about. How he gave it to feed, to nourish his disciples. And then he gave the warning in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul calls the church to examine herself, to see that she is in Christ, see that she does indeed hate her sin, that she desires to live for Christ. But if we don't do that, if we haven't done that, then coming to the table threatens God's judgment. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, Paul says, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so for this reason, the elders who oversee the table are called to guard and defense the table, to, to graciously warn those who are outside of Christ, to, to refrain from coming to the table lest God's judgment fall upon the entire congregation. And so the burden of our catechism here is to warn hypocrites, to, to warn pretenders who, who put on a show of being in Christ when they aren't really living for Christ, to warn them. 
that those who come to the table without genuine repentance, that those who come to the table without genuine prizing of Jesus Christ in their hearts bring God's wrath. With Christ's invitation to those of true faith also comes a strong fencing against false faith. But as the form of the Lord's Supper also reminds us, this solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage repentant sinners from coming to the Holy Sacrament as if no one might come to the table unless they're without sin. We do not come to the Lord's Supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners, that we look to Christ for our salvation. We come confessing our misery, admitting that we have many shortcomings and do not have perfect faith. We also confess that we do not serve God with sufficient zeal, but that we must struggle daily with the weakness of our faith and struggle against the evil lusts of our flesh. In the days of Isaiah, God spoke to a people like us. God spoke to the weak and wobbly people of Israel the, who did not always serve God with sufficient zeal. He also had to struggle daily against the lusts of the flesh. He had to struggle against their weakness of faith. And this is what he said, behold, behold my servant whom I will uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will never snuff out. And so I tell you again by way of reminder that the gospel of the Lord Jesus is indeed for weaklings. And so is his table. The Lord's Supper has been given to us for the express reason that our weak and fainting faith might be strengthened and fanned back into flame. And so we can be assured this morning, struggling sinners, that, that if you hate your sin, if you love the Lord, then this table is for you. For even though we do not have perfect faith, we do not serve God with all our hearts, even though we don't love our neighbors as we ought, the preparatory form reminds us, we can be confident. We can yet be confident that the Savior accepts at his table all who come in humble faith with sorrow for our sins and with a will to follow him as he commands. And so even when you come and your faith is weak, when you feel that your spiritual journey has been a constant struggle of, of one step forward and two steps back. If, if your faith is true, then despite what Satan would have you to believe this morning, you're, you're not a phony. If you believe in Christ, your ongoing struggle against sin doesn't make you a fraud. But you really are a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. A bruised reed, Christ will not break. A, a faintly burning wick, he will never snuff out. We need to understand that when we come to the Lord's table, I need to understand that and believe that. I, of course, know what it's like to feel like a fake, to feel like a phony or a fraud. Satan would have me to believe that every Sunday morning before I come to the pulpit. Who are you to, to proclaim, thus saith the Lord? But as my professor used to remind us in seminary, when the gospel preacher proclaims Christ, he's not being a fake or a phony, but if his faith is indeed in Christ, then as many as his sins may be when he's preaching, that's him in his fullest and truest self. 
because the gospel doesn't make us less of who we are, but the gospel makes us more of who we are. And I share that with you this morning, dear saints, because the same is true for you and me outside the pulpit and as we come around the table. The gospel doesn't make us less of who we are. The gospel makes us more of who we are. I share that because I don't think it was until seminary and studying Calvin's Institutes, I finally came to, to understand that when I hold the bread in my hand and I wait for the, the piano to stop playing, I don't need to be praying in my mind, no judgment, Lord, no judgment, Lord, please no judgment. Rather, I need only pray, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving a, a weak and wobbly sinner such as I. A bruised reed you will not break, and my faintly burning wick you will never snuff out. In Christ, I am a new creation. The old has passed away, as Isaiah foretold. The new has come. And all Christ's suffering and obedience are as definitely mine as if I had personally made satisfaction for all my sin. As I hold the bread and the cup in my hand, as I eat and drink, I can rehearse those words in my mind, and you can too, because the gospel doesn't make you less of who you are. It makes you more of who you are. Of course, there's a place in the worship service to consider our sin, to, to consider our need to confess. That's why we read the law and sing the song of confession. There's a, a power place to be, to be challenged with our sin and the preaching of the gospel as well. But when you're holding the bread, when you're holding the wine, that's not the time to be considering how great your guilt has been the last week. But as you hold the bread and hold the wine, that's a time to be considering how great God's grace is. Not how great your guilt is. Because when you come to the table in faith, clinging to God's promises, that's the real you. The person who sinned this morning, the person who sinned last week, that's the old you. That's the person, the old you of whom Paul said, it's no longer I who do those things, but that's sin dwelling in me. It's not I who do it. I'm a new person. The real you is who you are in Christ Jesus. The real you is who you are, as God says, as one who's been crucified with Christ and hidden with Christ. That's the real you. And that's the you who comes in confidence to to eat the bread and to drink from the cup, to commune with Christ himself, who is your head. Behold, the former things have passed away, the new has come. Behold, they spring forth, even now, says the Lord. The solemn warning is not designed to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the holy sacrament as if no one might come to the table unless they're without sin. But we do not come to the Lord's Supper as though we were righteous in ourselves but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Christ for salvation. Therefore, we can rest assured that no sin or weakness that still remains in us against our will, as the form says, that no sin or weakness that remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God's grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. The Lord's Supper is not about us Declaring to Christ that we've worthied ourselves up enough to come. But the Lord's Supper is about Christ declaring to us that he has made us worthy to come. Entirely by his grace. And so Christ says, come. He says, come to me all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He 
He declares to us this morning in a very tangible way that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. I will never cast out. He says this morning, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In this Holy Supper, Christ has provided a spiritual feast for our famished faith, a spiritual feast to strengthen and, and nourish us afresh and anew in the assurance of his condescending grace and mercy. As we confess in Article 25 of the Belgic Confession, this banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At the table, we confess, he makes us to enjoy himself. He makes us to enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor and desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. And so if you're displeased with your sins this morning, but if you nevertheless, nevertheless have, have placed your trust in Christ for pardon, if it is your desire to, to grow more and more in your love for Christ, to serve Christ in newness of life, and please accept with gladness the invitation now given. Please accept the invitation that Christ gives to you and come. This is Christ's gracious word in the Lord's Supper. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorify, true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Christ's invitation stands this morning, people of God. To all of you who feel discouraged or frustrated to all of you who feel weary or empty to all of you who feel like you're running on fumes that your tank is running on e to all who struggle but desire victory Christ's invitation stands his invitation to participate in his body and blood is extended to sinners who who perhaps find themselves thinking this morning how how could I have messed up that badly again is God disappointed in me? Is God displeased in me? Does God really love me? If any of those questions are swirling around in your minds this morning, then come to the table and hear the Savior say, yes, I still love you. Yes, eat, drink, and be assured that what I did on the cross, I did for you. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, come. And I will give you rest. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for Christ's gracious word to us in the Lord's Supper, that he would bid us come. May these words be written in our hearts, Lord, that we would partake of this holy food and drink, not in fear, but in faith. That as we hold the bread and hold the wine, we would not be distraught or downcast because of our sin, that we would be lifted up, our hearts lifted to heaven because of our salvation. We would not think in our guilt, we would think on your grace. 
May you feed us and nourish us this morning by this preaching and by this food. For Jesus' sake, amen.